0: if you would turn to Romans chapter 8 again and we want to look one more time at Romans chapter 8 which hopefully this won't be the last time we look at it in various ways but last time as far as uh, this series all right well we've been talking about um, the importance of Trusting the love of God for us in every situation, in every relationship. And um, I thought about the fact that I think I've talked about a um, thing that happened when I was in elementary school. And obviously, I hadn't even heard of homeschooling when I was growing up. I don't know if they had homeschooling when I was growing up. But I went to a public uh, school, and in elementary school, we had the practice in that day and time of uh, passing notes. I don't know if any of you remember any of that, but um, for those who might remember passing notes, uh, sometimes the notes will be passed between girls and girls, and sometimes between boys and boys, and then there are times that notes will be passed uh, from boys to girls or girls to boys, and um, those notes would look something like this, uh, to uh, Jan, so to speak, from Earl. Uh, Do you like me? Check one of these yes no maybe and then that there will always be at the bottom give it back as if you know they might keep it and and that'd ruin the whole thing because you're trying to get some information and um it's one of those things where uh it's kind of that he loves me he loves me not does he love me does he not love me uh does she love me does she doesn't love me doesn't love me Uh, something like that um we wouldn't use the term love because that seemed a little strong. We'd use the term like. and um, But they're kind of related in different ways. Sometimes you might ask the question, does God love me? Does God like me? Um, is that even appropriate uh, to think in those kinds of terms? And um, that's a lot of what the, um, the book Gentle and Lowly is about is... Um, expanding our understanding of what it means by God loving his children, that there is a liking involved in that, uh, that we need to understand. And so, uh, I don't know about you, but there are so many times in my life that um, I wish God would just uh, drop me a note from heaven or just put a sticky note on my mirror in the morning to give me a direct word from him about something that I'm concerned about Or just reminding me that I love you and I've got this. And the question is, does he really need to do that? Do we really need sticky notes saying, I love you, I've got this? Has he already done it? That's the question. It could be that what we're longing for is something that he's already given us. We just don't recognize it as such. Well, that's what I want to kind of touch on as we wrap up this series on trusting the love of God. We've been talking about this because my desire is for myself and you, my own family, all of us to be prepared for whatever whatever is going to come. Uh, Only the Lord knows what's going to happen in our country, how far we're going to go down this road that we seem to be on, that is a road that, um, you know, five years ago, most of us could never have imagined that we would be on the road we're on. But we don't know how long we're going to be on that road. We don't know how far God's going to let us go down that road. But we want to be prepared. And one of the ways the Bible talks about being prepared for anything and everything is to know and believe the love of God for us. That's what Romans 8 is about. And that's why it says in 1 John 4:16, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Romans 8, as I've said, um, is like the Mount Everest of the scriptures, and it encourages us to realize that because we're trusting in Christ, there's no condemnation, even though we still struggle with sin, yet there's no complacency, which means I'm still concerned about sin because my father is concerned about sin, and then finally, there's no need to be afraid. Whatever comes our way, there's no need to be afraid. Now, does that mean we're not going to be afraid? No, we're going to be afraid because we're still sinful. We, we still doubt. We still don't have the whole picture. We, we still are weak. And so we're going to be afraid. But Romans 8 tells us that it's the Holy Spirit in us who uh, leads us to fight that, to put that to death, and to trust the love of God in every situation So what I'd like to do, I'm not going to read the whole passage this morning, but I'm going to read the beginning and the end because that's what I want to focus on. Um, This morning, uh, verses 15 through 17 is the beginning of the passage that we've been looking at. And it says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children heirs also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him so he begins off begins talking about the fact that we're children of God, and yet the children of God are going to be glorified, but there's a process you have to go through, and it's called the process of suffering, and therefore from he goes into a discussion of that reality in a fallen world for Christians to suffer. And that's what he uh, is talking about as we work ourselves down to verse 35. And so after talking about this whole issue of suffering and, and uh, how we might uh, respond to it, he says in verse 35, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so uh, you could say that what Paul is dealing with here is he's trying to address what children often have, uh, which is separation anxiety. Uh, It's not exactly what we often refer to in children being afraid of being apart from their uh, parents, but it is similar in that the idea is that there might be something that could actually prevent God from loving us. And so Paul deals with that, especially in light of suffering, because suffering does not feel like love. It does not look like love. We tend to think that if I'm loving you, I will never make you uncomfortable. I will never do anything that might offend you. That's the culture we're in. You offend me, you make me uncomfortable, you're not safe. And therefore I cancel you. So we're we're all prone to think that suffering uh, doesn't really equal love. Um, That's why children wrestle with their parents spanking them and disciplining them and saying no to them because it doesn't look and feel like love to them but we know it is and we know that that is why god calls us to do it and so what we've been talking about is the fact that in this passage the love of the father for his children we're talking about the love of god the father for believers in jesus is a disguised love Meaning, it's not disguised in the Bible. You can read it right there in Romans chapter 8 and many other passages. But it is often disguised in suffering. Suffering doesn't look and feel like love. But the good news is, it is if we are in Christ. The second thing we uh, have talked about is that the love of the Father for his children is an all things love. Meaning, everything is being used by God to love us, to do us good, to bless us. There's nothing, zero, that happens to us as his children that is not being used by God for our good, our joy in him to make us like Christ. God will not allow anything, even our sin or the sin of others, to keep us from what is good and to add to our joy God all things means all things Um, and then thirdly uh, the love of the father um, excuse me includes all blessings which is second under this heading I guess I should say and this means that God will give us every good thing that is possible to be given to a created being by an infinite God okay everything that God can possibly give us he can't make us God Because we're finite. He's infinite. But he can bless us with with every possible blessing. And he has. That's what Paul is saying here. And then finally, the love of the Father uh, conquers all sufferings. It transforms all circumstances. It includes all blessings. It conquers all sufferings. And that's what I was talking about last week when I talked about how C.S. Lewis talks about the deeper magic. The idea that uh, there is a magic that the uh, witch knew about, which is if a traitor, uh, if someone betrays someone, uh, their blood belongs to the witch. But Aslan said there's a deeper magic that when an innocent um, victim lays down his life for a traitor, everything changes. The uh, stone table will be cracked and And time will work backwards. And so the idea is that um, as Job could say at the end of his life, after much, much suffering, therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. He's saying there was a deeper magic going on. There were things that God was doing that were underneath the surface that were... Greater and more wonderful than I could even imagine. I was so wrong to misjudge God. It's exactly what he says at the end of the book. And that's why uh, William Cooper could write the song um, that we are familiar with. Where it says, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage, take the, the clouds ye so much dread, are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. I just want to review that very quickly because all those things are important as we come to talk about, well, who gets to enjoy all of that? That is an incredible blessing. There, there is, you could not be more blessed than you are as a believer in Jesus. You could not be because God has included everything in that blessing. The question is, can I rest in that? Can you rest in that? And what has to happen for us to be able to rest in that kind of love? And so that brings us to the last point, which is the love of the Father is an in Christ love that is the reality, whether we feel it or not, sense it or not, or think it's true. It's true. It is the reality of all who have repented and believed in Jesus. Now, in the uh, Sunasu class with the kids, uh, Jan has used an illustration where he, she will um, put the kids in a laundry basket and she will let them push it around or get pushed around or whatever. And the idea is that um, whoever is in that basket gets certain blessings. But if they're outside the basket, they don't. That's what Paul is talking about here when he says in Christ, where it's not just the idea of being in a container, it's the idea of being in union with Jesus by faith. That if we're in the basket, and everyone who is in the basket is loved in a way that those outside the basket are not loved. And that's what Paul is wanting to bring home to us. And so the first point I want to make is, if you look in verse 16, he says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And so the first point is simply to say the love of the Father is not the only kind of divine love, but it is the greatest love of all. And it is only experienced by the children of God. As we've said before, um, we are made in the image of God. And as people who are made in the image of God, uh, we love in different ways. As husbands, we love our wives. But as husbands, we also love women who aren't our wives. As wives, we love, you love your husbands. But as wives, you love men who aren't your husbands. As parents, we love our children. But as parents, we also love children who aren't our children. And we know naturally that there's a difference between those kinds of love. We know that there's a greater commitment in certain loves than there are in other loves. There's a greater uh, willing and readiness to give everything in certain relationships and to only give some things in other relationships, and appropriately so. And so it shouldn't be surprising to us that if we're made in the image of God that God would be like that too. And that's what we do see in the scriptures. The, there are two dishes we get into when we wrestle with all that the Bible says about the love of God. One is the idea that God loves every single person exactly the same. He doesn't. Any more than I love every single woman exactly the same. No, I love Jan in a very special, exclusive way. Appropriately. Um, the other ditch is God has only one kind of real love and that is love for his own children. And that's the ditch we have to be careful of too. And one of the things that's interesting to me, if you read through the old Testament, one of the real interesting things is to try to figure out what God's relationship, love relationship is with Israel. If you really think about it, because he says some amazing things. And later on in this message, message I'll highlight some of that, but It's helpful for me to think in these terms, that there is the love of God for the created, those he's created in his image. Which means, what does that mean? As a created person, um, the truth of the Bible is, God loves you, but if you do not repent, you will die in your sin. That's exactly what Jesus told the Pharisees. If you do not repent, you will die in your sin. Now, he was perfect love, and and. In order for him to be our righteousness, he had to love the Pharisees perfectly. And so he loved them perfectly and told them, you will die in your sin if you do not repent. Then, so there's the love of the created. There's also the love of the chosen, which means God does choose people to uh, play certain roles and he chose the nation of Israel to play a role. Think about Balaam. The Bible makes it clear that Balaam was not a a believer. He was not saved. And yet God spoke through him and God used him to bless Israel. And and so God does choose people to play certain roles and he chose Israel to play a role. But if you read carefully what the Bible says in the Old Testament about Israel, it says things like God loves you, but if you don't keep the covenant, God will reject you. It's exactly what he tells the nation of Israel. I love you, but if you don't keep my covenant, I will reject you. We have to have have categories for that kind of thing. But what we're talking about here in Romans 8 is the love of the child. Not just the created, not just the chosen for a particular purpose, but the love of the child, which means God has a love for those that he has loved before the beginning of time. He set his love upon them He sent his son to live and die and rise again on their behalf. He sent the Holy Spirit to draw them to himself. And he loves them in a special way that he doesn't love everyone else. And that's what we want to think about. And what that love says is, God loves you fully and forever, just like he loves his own son, no matter what. No matter what. It's a no matter what kind of love. You can't say that to everyone. God doesn't say that to everyone, but he does say that to his children. So that's the first point is that uh, this is a love that is a love for the children of God. The second point is that it's the love of the father uh, that is experienced for all those who are in Christ Jesus. So I just want to expand on this a little more. We've already touched on it, but they're in Christ Jesus, our Lord, through repentance and faith. In verse thirty nine. It speaks of the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He doesn't say there isn't any love outside of Christ. He just says, I'm talking about this love that's in union with Jesus Christ. It's important to realize that there are two problems that we we face. One is the problem of assuming God's love. Now I'll tell you what I mean by that. A lot of people have talked about the fact that Um, In churches, people have gotten um, accustomed to telling everyone that God loves you unconditionally. That's not true. That's not the truth of what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that we're to tell everyone that God loves you unconditionally. Uh, Someone has tried to figure out where that phrase, unconditional love, even comes from. And uh, some like to tie it back to the uh, uh, therapist, counselor Carl Rogers who basically defined it as loving people without any concern for right and wrong. Just love me, don't don't be concerned about whether I'm doing what's right or wrong. You just love me, accept me, and support me. That is what our country, our society, our culture defines love to be. Just accept me, support me, welcome me, Uh, but don't ever point out anything uh, that might be actually wrong with my life. And that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible teaches. God is very concerned about right and wrong, even in the lives of his own children. R.C. Sproul talks about the whole issue of talking that way. And he says, you know, why even share the gospel if God loves everyone unconditionally? Why call people to repentance and faith if that's really true? Um, He says, if that's really true, then we actually are preaching universalism. God's going to save everybody. And both those things aren't true based on what we see. And he says, in Christ, the obstacle of estrangement is overcome. Talking about the fact that we are naturally born separated from God, estranged from God, not in relationship with God. He says, but it's through Christ, through the gospel, that we're reconciled to God But that reconciliation extends only to believers. Those who reject Christ remain at enmity with God, estranged from God, and objects both of his wrath and of his abhorrence. It goes on to say, Whatever kind of love God has for the impenitent, it does not exclude his just hatred and abhorrence of them, which stands in stark contrast to his redeeming love. So he's talking about the fact, that he said in other places, where there's a kind of hatred that goes with a kind of love in God. God can love the impenitent, those who are unrepentant and unbelieving, can truly desire their good and do them good in various ways, and yet if they reject him, there's a consequence because we are all under God's wrath, uh, even when he does us good when we're outside of Christ. And so we have to be careful of assuming that, that there's this unconditional love for all people, which drives us to ask the question then, who does God love, uh, if we want to call it unconditionally? And it's his own people, those who repent and believe in Jesus. And and the question is, what does it mean to repent? It doesn't mean that my life, I've cleaned up my life and I'm living just like I'm supposed to live. That God loves me because I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. That is not repentance. Because the reality is, I can't live that way. So it's not the kind of repentance that God is calling me to. Should that be my desire? Yes. My desire should be to be just like Jesus and to obey God's word. And that's what the heart of repentance is. It's... um, It's not sinlessness, but it's a heart that turns from sin. It's a disposition of hostility towards sin rather than hostility toward God. I go from being hostile toward God and what he wants from me to being hostile towards sin and actually wanting to please God. But even as I do that, I realize that I can never live up to what God calls me to. So what's my only hope? Well, God tells me. He tells me to trust in his son. He tells me to entrust myself to Jesus as my Lord and my Savior so that faith is not sinlessness either, but it's entrusting ourselves to the one who is sinless and who died for sinners. And it's a disposition of humble submission to Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's why Paul at the end of Romans 7 could say, Oh, wretched man that I am, who would deliver me from this body of death? He looks at his own sinfulness and the inconsistencies in his life and his ongoing sin issues. And he says, I long to be free. I long to please God. I long to be free from sin and the power of sin and to be like Christ. And that's the kind of heart that God gives to those he's set his fatherly love upon. That's what Paul is saying here. The problem is, the other problem, one is the, assuming that kind of love for everyone Uh, The other problem is doubting that love as believers. Even though the Bible tells us that that's the way it is for us as believers, those who've repented and believed in Jesus, we still doubt that. As I've mentioned before, John Owen, who's considered by many to be the greatest theologian of the church, said few believers can carry their hearts and minds to this height by faith to rest their souls In the love of the Father. So he's talking about Christians, true believers. He says, Few can really rest in the idea that God the Father loves them in the way that Romans 8 talks about. He goes on to talk about the fact that when we're born again and we come to faith in Christ, we don't see the love of God uh, in all of its glory. It's as we grow that we begin to see God, the Father, as he is. We begin to see the love of God as it is. And it's a process where we come by faith to see just what God um, thinks of us, feels about us, how he loves us as his children. But he says it's the design of Satan to keep us from that. It's the design of Satan to keep us from believing the love of God for us in all the ways that we've talked about it up to this point. He said, speaking of Satan, he led our first parents into these severe thoughts of God. Talking about Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, Can you really trust God to give you what's good? Maybe he's trying to keep something good from you by telling you not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Maybe he's really out to undermine your happiness. So he led our first parents into these severe thoughts of God with this war engine He battered and overthrew all mankind in one step. He's arguing that doubting the love of God is why we fell into sin and why this world is fallen and corrupt. He says, remembering his ancient conquest, he readily uses the same weapons today that he so successfully used then. It grieves the Spirit of God to be slandered this way in the hearts of those whom he dearly loves. The Lord takes nothing worse at the hands of his own people than such hard thoughts of him. Satan is a slanderer. And what he does is he slanders God to us. He says, God doesn't love you. God isn't keeping up his end of the bargain. He's not fulfilling his promises. He's not working out his purposes. All this suffering that you're going through is just an evidence that he doesn't love you. You can't trust his word. He's not keeping his word. He's, he's a liar. The liar of all liars accuses God of being a liar. And he comes to our hearts and says, Oh, child of God. Ha! Child of God. God doesn't love you. You don't. He doesn't care about you. It's very evident. Just look at your life. Just look at your life. Is that what he said to Job? Take away all the things you've blessed him with. Take away his health and see if he doesn't curse you to your face. That Satan hasn't changed. He's still working the same way today. And so it's very important that we realize that God does love us and he is very concerned about whether or not we believe it very concerned about whether or not we believe it thirdly uh, the love of the father is unstoppable and unending so that we will never be separated from his love if you look again at verse uh, 35 and 39 in verse 35 he says who will separate us from the love of christ and then he answers that very clearly in verse 38 and 39 when he says For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, the idea of anything being able to separate us is the idea of, does anything have the power to actually prevent God from loving us or to change God's mind? Is there anything that can keep God from loving us and and cause us to be separated? It's the idea of a a great chasm, a great gap. It's the idea of being cut off from the love of God. Actually, hell is being cut off from the love of God. It's basically, will God cast me into hell by cutting me off from his love? Will that happen ever for any reason? And the answer is no. Last week, we looked at a number of different things, a number of different kinds of suffering that sometimes we might think through Satan's tempting, that it's evidence that God isn't loving us or we've been cut off from his love. We talked about um, tribulation. This is in verse 35, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. But then he goes on in these verses, 38 and 39, to talk about other things that we might think might be able to uh, prevent God from loving us or change God's mind or be evidence of uh, God having changed his mind. He says, death, can death separate us? And the answer is no. Uh, Need we be afraid to die? No. one of the greatest fears of all is the fear of death. That's why, why, why a lot of people do what they do, because they're trying to avoid death. And yet we, as believers, don't have to be afraid of being separated from our bodies or being separated from this world, that God, even in death, is loving us. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. He goes on to life. What does that refer to? refers to life in a fallen world, whatever temptations we might have, whatever trials we might experience, can those separate us somehow from the love of God? And the answer is no. He brings up the idea of angels, and that can be understood differently, but it probably refers to good angels. Now, why would he even bring up the possibility that a good angel might separate us from the love of God. Well, he says in Galatians, if an angel from heaven preaches another gospel to you, don't listen to him. What is he speaking of? He's speaking uh, hypothetically. He's speaking um, extravagantly, saying let's just think of the wildest thing you can think of. Like a good angel from heaven preaching a different gospel or a good angel actually trying to keep you from the love of God or hinder that love in some way. And he says there's even if that were to happen, it won't happen. God's love will continue. Then it talks about principalities that probably refers to the bad angels. Uh, Paul talks about the fact that our war is against principalities and powers of various kinds. He talks about things present, things we face today, uh, things to come face. We things we might face tomorrow um, we get all anxious over things that are happening today and we get usually even more anxious about things that might happen tomorrow, uh, which is kind of interesting that we're uh, even more um, burdened by things that we think might happen than what's actually happening to us. And But either way, we can doubt the love of God for us and he says, you don't have to be anxious about what's happening right now or what might happen. God has all of that under control. He holds all things in his hand and he holds our hand. He's he's got it under control. Powers. Whatever the powers that be that we may face, earthly powers or even miraculous supernatural powers, we need not be afraid. Height Uh, probably refers to powers that are out of sight beyond the heavens, depth, powers that are out of sight below the earth, things that we can only imagine. We can only imagine what might be out there or down there that might could separate me from the love of God. He says, nothing, any other created thing, no thing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why would he emphasize that? Because there are all kinds of things that we practically are responding to in such a way that we're acting like, we're responding like they are. Keeping God from loving us. That they are preventing God from loving us. That they're not expressions of God's love. That he doesn't have it in his hand. And he doesn't have us in his hand. And he's not working it together for our good. Romans 9 through 11, I've mentioned, is... um, a, a section of Romans that a lot of people wonder why is that in there well it's helpful to read the Bible and not let the chapter breaks keep you from looking at the flow of thought and the flow of thought is he ends by saying that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord verse 39 and then he goes into a discussion of Israel and all the various blessings that they had And uh, he asked the question basically, well, he's actually asking and answering a question that is being raised. Paul, you're saying that the children of God will never be separated from the love of God. What about Israel? What about Israel? Again, if you read the Old Testament closely, you'll see things like this in Hosea chapter 9. God is talking about Israel and he says, All their evil is at Gilgal. Indeed, I came to hate them there. I will drive them, excuse me, because of the wickedness of their deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. He goes on to say, I will cast them away. My God will cast them away. So if you make a one-to-one relationship between Israel and the church, Israel and believers in Jesus, then it would be possible for God to say, I might come to hate you right there and I might come to cast you away. And so people are raising the question, is that the kind of love that God has for us? It sounds like you're saying that's not the kind of love, that it's something different, greater, more wonderful, more lasting, that conquers everything. And Paul goes on to say in Romans 9 through 11, that's exactly what I'm saying. And the key verse that links this, I think, back to Romans 8 is verse 6, where he says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, But the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. So what is he saying there? He's saying God has not abandoned his children. Because all Israel were not his children. Only some of Israel were his children. And those who were his children, those who were believers, true believers, they were his children. The believing remnant, they were his children. But all Israel was not. And therefore, God could cast off and could say, I'm not going to love them anymore, those who are outside of the believing community. And that's the, that's the danger that every unbeliever faces, that at one at po- some point, God is going to say, I will not love you anymore as I've loved you, and you will suffer the consequences of your sin. That's what he did to Israel. And so it's important that we realize that because Uh, we might begin to think that as we read our Old Testament that when God talks about his chosen people that uh, maybe God might treat me the same way. And Paul would say, no, no. That would be a misunderstanding of what God's relationship to Israel as a nation was. What I'm telling you in Romans 8 is exactly how God treats his children. Believe that. Well, finally... Uh, that brings me to the last point. The father wants his children to be convinced of his love to the testimony of the spirit, no matter what they may suffer. It says in verse 38, Paul says, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And earlier, back up in verse 16, it says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So how can we have this conviction that Paul had, a settled conviction, a confident certainty that God loves us even when we're being slaughtered, even when we're being abducted by Muslims in Nigeria. How can I be convinced that I am loved perfectly like Romans 8 says by the Father? It's by the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to convince us. That we are loved. How does he do that? Well, he does that by giving us a sense of God's love for us. And John Owen would point to Romans 5, 5, where it says, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let me back up. The context of that is verse 3. that says, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. We get excited over really hard stuff. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. Why doesn't hope disappoint? Why can we rejoice in our tribulation? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And this is how John Owen describes that. He says, In respect to its manifestations, He, God, sheds abroad His love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5 He gives us a sense of His love manifesting it to us. But think about what he says next. This varies and changes, sometimes more, sometimes less. Now he, sh- now he shines his face upon us. Another time he hides it, as necessary for our profit. Our father will not always chide us, or we may be cast down. He does not always smile, or we may be full and neglect him. Yet his love in itself remains the same even though he may hide his face for a moment he gathers us with his everlasting kindness You've got to think about that what is he saying it's the ministry of the holy spirit to give us a sense of the father's love but it is not constant and it's not always the same it's as we need it it's as necessary for our profit and that's why there are those in the history of the church that have talked, talked about the dark night of the soul, where they did not sense God's love. They did not sense his presence. And they were cast upon the bare word of God. And that's the next point, is that the spirit testifies through the word of God. He says, read your Bible. Read your Bible and you will know that if you are trusting Jesus, if you've entrusted yourself to Jesus then God loves you like he loves no one else. He loves you in the greatest way possible. We see that, for instance, in 1 John 5, where it says, who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. He goes on to say, it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. And then he goes on to say, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that, That life has, excuse me, that he has testified concerning his son. The connection there is this. The spirit is the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth testifies to the son. God testifies through the word and the Holy Spirit speaks that word to our hearts. God is not going to send us a memo from heaven saying, I love you. I've got this. The Holy Spirit is going to take the word of God and say, that's for you. You're a believer in Jesus. That is you that is being talked about. And so um, someone has uh, talked about the fact, a guy named Robert Haldane, a Reformed theologian, who said in the Roman Catholic Church, they say, you can't be sure that God loves you. You can't be sure that you're saved. Uh, You'd have to have your name written in the Bible to do that. His response is, Robert Haldane, well, what about the commands? Do you have to have your name written in the Bible to be held accountable for that? Thou shalt not murder. Do you have to have Linda and Scott and Mark and Sean and everybody's name in there? I'm talking to you. No, you don't. Likewise, Robert Haldane would say, when the Bible says, all those who are in Christ are loved this way, that's written to you if you're in christ if you've turned from sin and trusted in jesus god has said i am speaking to you he says every believer then should rejoice in the declarations and promises of the gospel as if they were addressed to him by name god has given us given us a memo god has told us exactly what our relationship to him is so the Holy Spirit may give us a sense of His, uh, of the Father's love to us in various ways, to various degrees, but he continually speaks to us through the word, faithfully and clearly through the word. And then thirdly, also testifies through his work in our lives. Um, if you just read Romans 8, it talks about various things like uh, the fact that we trust in the work of Christ to deliver us from condemnation. We have a heart to live to please God. We have a heart for the things of God. We're, we're willing to submit ourselves to the Bible. Uh, we have a desire to put to death sin. We have a desire to pray to God as our Father, Abba Father. Um, we have a desire, uh, a longing to, to be delivered from sin and to have our glorified bodies we have a love for God. We have a heart to trust what God says in his word. And so as you read through that, you realize it's talking about the kinds of things that God does in the heart of a believer by the spirit, which is a testimony to them being in Christ and therefore a testimony to the love of God to them. All right. Let me close with this. Um, Ultimately, the Spirit is telling us that God loves us so that we would not be afraid. That's how the whole passage starts out, that we would not fear because the Bible says all kinds of things come out of fear and anxiety. All kinds of sin come out of fear and anxiety. And therefore, we need to be delivered from fear and anxiety that we might live to please God and honor him. Someone has commented on John 11. I don't have time. I need to wrap this up. But if you read back through John 11, I I would encourage you to. It's a story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And um, Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, who's not close by, that Lazarus is sick. Please come and heal him. And it says Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus and he waited he didn't come right away. We would think, well, if you loved them, you'd get on a plane right away. You wouldn't waste any time. Is that what love does? It drops everything and runs. Well, he stays. He waits. He waits till he dies. And then he says, okay, let's go. The Father's going to be glorified through this. And so Jesus shows up, and Mary and Martha say, you know, if you'd been here, Lord, he would not have died. Implication being, you know, you could have prevented this. Um, Don't you love us? Don't you love us? That's the question. And Jesus tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, uh, if he dies, he will rise again. If if he doesn't die, he will live forever. Do you believe this? Do Do you believe what's true about me? It's really the question. Do you believe what's true about me? I am this for you. Do you you believe that in this situation with your brother who's died? And Jesus knew that he was going to raise him from the dead, but there was a reason why Lazarus had to die. And someone has kind of summarized this. Um, He talks about the confusion that we often face as Christians. We hear... God loves me as his child, but all this stuff is happening to me and it confuses me. And this is how um, Joe Rigney completes his article on the confusing and perfect love of Christ. He says, in light of John 11, he may take you through unimaginable, unimaginable suffering and loss and pain. And when he does, because he loves you, he will still be with you. And someday, because he loves you, he will raise the dead. He will right every wrong and wipe away every tear. And in the meantime, because he loves you, he is taking you deeper into his love. He is revealing his glory to you in the waiting and the weeping. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Do you believe this? I just conclude with this: There was a man named George Matheson, who uh, was engaged to be married back in the 1800s when he was 20, and he started going blind. And his wife, his uh, wife to be, his fiance said, "I can't marry a blind man. I can't live with a blind man," and she walked away. Um, he found his sister who was willing to take care of him, and he was blind the rest of his life. But he was a preacher. And he preached to 1,500 people blind. But at some point, his sister decided she was going to get married. And he knew that she wasn't going to be able to care for him anymore. And so he began to reflect on that. His sister getting married. His relationship with her was going to change. uh, His own failed engagement and marriage. And he says, in that dark moment, he wrote a hymn. He said it took him five minutes and it was the only hymn he ever wrote that he did not have to edit. He just wrote it. It just flowed out of him. And it's the song, Love That Will Not Let Me Go. It starts off by saying, Oh, love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. The third verse says, O joy that seekest me through pain. O joy that seekest me through pain. I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. O love that will not let me go. That's Romans 8. And that's for all of us, every single one of us who are entrusting ourselves to Jesus, which is actually what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. As we pray and as we conclude and as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, let me just encourage you to think about these questions. Can you believe the love of the Father for you even when it is dark and hard? Maybe right now it might be dark and hard in various ways. Are you fighting to believe the Father's love for you? Can you take God at his word that he loves you and and is loving you perfectly even when you don't sense that love? You don't feel that love, even when it doesn't look like love. If you are a believer in Jesus who's turned from sin and trusted in Christ, you have every reason to believe that you're not just experiencing God's general love for all people that can end, but that you're experiencing the love of the child that is full and forever, which begs the question, have you turned from sin and trusted in Jesus? Are you in Christ? If you are, you have every reason to rejoice in the love of God, no matter what. Because God rejoices in you, no matter what. Father, we just pray that you'd help us to see and receive your word. Help us to trust your love for us as believers in Jesus. If we've not turned from sin and trusted in you, Lord Jesus, grant us the grace to do so. We just commit ourselves to you. We thank you for a love that will not let us go, that will pursue us and run us down and bless us more than we can ever imagine. We love you in return. May we love you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.